All right, if you will, please open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Again, Old Testament book, fifth minor prophet, um, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. And if you're visiting, there are sermon notes. We're coming this morning to verse 1 of chapter 1. And as we begin our verse-by-verse study this morning, <coughs> we're still going to do somewhat of a focus on the background. If you were with us last week, we did a background study but even in the three verses that we study today, it's still some background material, as you'll see. But if you have your sermon notes, a quick reference that I would like to give you is you look at what we did with the background of Jonah last week. And we looked at those five key truths underlying the book of Jonah. If you weren't with us, you have to, I think, get the CD or the podcast. Understand that we've looked at the fact that when we study all four chapters that we understand this story, this famous story that believers and unbelievers know of a man being swallowed by a great fish is a true story. And we talked about the fact that it's more than a fish story, the second point there, because there's four chapters as we go into it that really go into some great details we're going to even see today that go beyond just giving us insight into a man being swallowed by a fish. We're going to see how it deals with God can appear way too generous with his mercy. Mercy that he gives to Jonah, mercy that he gives to Nineveh. And he is way, at times, too merciful from a human perspective, but that is who God is. And it's accounts like this. If God didn't give us accounts like this, we wouldn't see the depth of his mercy. Then we we see that applied in a specific way that even the most evil people can get mercy. And that is amazing. So those two points go hand in hand, three and four, but I broke them apart because I wanted to emphasize them. And then lastly, as we'll even see today, you refuse to do God's will, it can break you. And that's something that I'm hoping puts great fear in all of you. As we go through this, as we grow in our spiritual walk, we want to continually be willing to be compliant to whatever God wants us to do. And so as we come to the book of Jonah, as we look at verse 1, says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, verse 2, the great city, cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship from which he was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, verse 3 says, and went down uh, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And so begins the story that, if you look again at your sermon notes, has this theme. God gives mercy to whom he wants, and you better accept it. Because as we studied and we're talking about it, Jonah doesn't want to give mercy to the people of Nineveh. And he's going to flee from them. And you say, well, that's you know, it's just a simple point, but it's amazing all the details that God puts in it in here. And the, this book is just an amazing book as we go through it, as we see all the details as we run through this, this wonderful story. And so on your sermon notes, I have slides to enlighten. So what I want to do this morning is give you a few slides that I think are really interesting. And if someone can get the lights, and Brian, if you could get the very first one. And here we come. What I want you to see is here's a picture that I, that I, I believe I got all these slides to with permission. Um, this is from a Bible program I have. This is down here where Israel is, all right? And, and when Jonah is fleeing, he's going, he wants to go to what is perceived to be Tarshish. Tarshish is, some people think, modern-day Spain. Now, if it's not, it's maybe one of these islands in here 
but Tarshish was a really well-known city. And I, I don't know, can you see your Bibles? Are you guys, uh, yes, no, because let me, oh, I can read Psalm 72. Psalm 72, if you can remember this, verse 10. Um, I don't want to have the lights go back and forth. But Psalm 72, verse 10, speaks of the incredible wealth of Tarshish. 72, verse 10, it says, And let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Because Tarshish was well known as a very, very wealthy city. Um, and even though we don't know where it specifically is, if you do like one of those Google searches, some of those Bible programs you've got, you can see that Tarshish is mentioned all through the Bible, and it's a place that was considered wealthy. I think the word Tarshish means to smelt, they, like working with iron and stuff, and it was believed that it was a port city, and it was a lot of commerce went through there, and so what you need to recognize is whether it's these islands in here or here, Jonah wants to go about 2,500 miles away from where God wants to send him, where he was supposed to go to Nineveh. And Nineveh, if I can get my map up here, is right here. So if Jonah is down here by Jerusalem, that, that's about 500 miles compared to way, way over here, which was where Tarshish was. All right? And so different map shows it a little more. Down here, you've got Israel in here, Nineveh right there. And this map was the, probably the best one I had for modern-day Israel. Um, I mean, modern-day modern day Nineveh. Nineveh would be in the modern country of Iraq. So there's Babylon, Baghdad, um, Iran, Turkey. And if you ever, the, the, the words Nineveh here, cover over the city in Iraq. If you ever hear of the city Mosul, Mosul is right across from where we have the ruins of Nineveh. In the upcoming weeks, I'm going to get you some slides that show you where um, they, they've dug into Nineveh. Again, uh, you just jot this down. I can turn there. I want to read to you where did Nineveh come from? Well, in the book of Genesis, and if you can turn there, you can follow along with me if you can read. I apologize, again, the lights are off. But I wanted to, to just be aware as we're doing a little bit of background. Nineveh comes from Genesis chapter 10, and it's from um, when Nimrod, the famous... Um, I can't even see my own notes. Um, Genesis chapter 10, Nineveh, uh, Father, like Nimrod, yeah, and from when, verse 8, now Cush became the father of Nimrod, he became a mighty one on, on the earth, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord, therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter, the beginning of his kingdom was Ebel and Erech and Argard and Canaan in the land of Shinar. From there he went forth and built Nineveh. So it's Genesis chapter 10, verse 11. And how that all comes to play, it's kind of ironic, is that when we talk about end times and we talk about the rebirth of Babylon, um, Nimrod is that key player, and he was the one who built the city. Now Babylon, um, Babylon becomes his capital, 
but he builds the city. And the word Nineveh could mean city of Nimrod, all right? Or it could be a city of Dagon, one of the fish, fish gods that they, they worship there, okay? So that's where God wanted him to go. And we're, when I show you the slides in the upcoming weeks, it's going to be really fascinating. The big city, um, perhaps up to a million people there, high walls guarded the city. Where, what I want you to understand is when we come to this story in the book of Jonah, where does it fit on the timeline? And if I called up the church that put this together, and I got permission to have this slide. And any one of you who are on my email, I can send you this. I think this is a fascinating timeline. And the, basically is we have creation, which could be anywhere from four to 6,000 B.C., all right, we do believe in an early date here, but I love this because, and you can't see these dates, but there's the Exodus, and the Exodus is about 1446, 1446 BC, where this play, where this book of Jonah takes place, is right in here, and and the key date is 722, the fall of the Northern Kingdom. As we studied last week, we saw that Jonah is mentioned in the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. And the significance of that is that during this period of the kings, when the stories, when you read 1 and 2 Kings and you're like me and you get lost and those dates, those dates are around 900 to 720 some BC, all right, mainly. It's during this time that Assyria goes up and down in power and israel's going up and down in power and right in here right in here is we believe when jonah is told hey go talk to nineveh go have them get their act together because they're rising in power they're doing a lot of evil things and there's two reasons that jonah might be really upset he has heard other prophets Isaiah and maybe um, Hosea come on the scene and other prophets saying, God's going to get you, Israel, because you've not been good. You've already split. The kingdom is split, all right? The division of the kingdom, Israel's divided at around 931 B.C. Remember, that's when after Solomon dies and his his son um, splits the kingdom. Israel's been doing just what's right in their own eyes. And, And... Maybe Jonah says, look, I know that God was going to use Nineveh to smash us. I don't want to go deal with those people. I already know they're doing evil things. And so, and so um, I realize how powerful they're going to be. And we know that when 722 comes in, and I apologize, I know that the, you can't see it, but you'll, you've heard this before. 722 is when the northern kingdom falls. You've heard the expression before, hey, the 10 lost tribes of Israel happened. That's 40 years, around 40 years before Jonah, because Assyria, Nineveh are the people that come in and they wipe out the northern kingdom, okay? So Jonah, as we know, is told, go to Nineveh, but he doesn't want to go to Nineveh. And so he runs to Joppa, and here's a picture of the sea from modern-day Jaffa, where um, Jonah took off from. And so it was the Grand Sea. 
And so this is the picture, if you ever hear of the city of Tel Aviv, this, this is how close they were. This is from the city of Joppa, and you can look and see, let me go back, you can see Tel Aviv. And so somewhere along here, when you think of Jonah getting on a boat, it was right around here that he jumped on a boat and went onto this sea to head off, we believe, towards modern-day Spain, okay? Now, this is just kind of like a fun fact. I'm going to show you something in Hebrew. Most of your Bibles, if you have a New American Standard Bible, it just begins, the very first verse begins, the word of the Lord. But in Hebrew, there is a different word that begins the book of Jonah. And some of your Bibles, whether it's a King James or New King James, you have the word now, now, all right? Does anybody have the word now? Raise your hand. Okay, you, there you go. Monica has it. A few of you have the word now. The reason I want to show you this is this is just a fun fact, okay? In, in Hebrew, this is a letter, okay, that's the letter we call it wow, all right? We call it wow. Um, it, it is in modern Hebrew, it's called vav. Mary should be here. She's, Mary is our Hebrew scholar. Um, but she's in the nursery, so I felt really bad that Mary wasn't going to be here. This is how you make it. You, just, you make this, just a line, you go down. It is a word that is translated n- numerous ways, and therefore, since, so, but. It, it all depending upon the context. S- the reason some of your New American Standard Bibles don't have it at the beginning is because it's like one of those words, like I know when I, spent, when I translate like sometimes in the Spanish or I did other languages, there's always these words that sometimes just don't get translated. This can even function like that, all right? It is, it is let me see where we're going to go now. It's a key word. It's in, this is the word Yahweh, Yahweh. And um, when you, hear, you ever hear Yahweh, it's, that is this letter. Remember, you start with Hebrew, you read it backwards. Okay, so you'll hear that letter a lot if someone will recite a, a Spanish word. <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting that it is, in Hebrew language, it is also, in modern language, it's the number six. And you say, where do I ever see this? Well, there's a company out there called Monster Energy, and a lot of Christians think, did they use that in their symbol and which would be of the book of Revelation, 666. I can't say definitively. The company defines it, but a lot of Christians see that in there. I, I will not tell you don't drink monster drink, and I'm not saying don't, but when you see it, I want you at least to be thinking of this. Um, why I want this to be so, something that I just thought would be a fun little fact that you would want to know, is God put a pointer in his books do you realize that if you have an historical book, if you have an historical book, something that's telling not a story or not even a, uh, not even a um, prophecy, almost every historical book of the Old Testament begins with this letter. Books that don't, the exceptions are the book of Genesis, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it's not in there. But once you start and you go into, you go into um, Exodus, you go into, um, uh, I don't know if Leviticus, but I know like Numbers and Deuteronomy, and then you go into Judges, they all start with this letter. And why is that significant? 
Well, because it's indicative to God when he has the book of Jonah that the book of Jonah isn't like a fairy tale. It isn't something that's made up. It's telling, God put this one little letter, and remember how Jesus says every jot and tittle will be taken care of? I just think it's unique that God has put this in his language so that when we come to the book of Jonah, we know that he's treating this as historical fact. So get the lights. Let's jump into this. Let's, let's look into what we have in the book of Jonah on our sermon notes. We're just going to jump to the second part, a detailed study of verses 1 to 3. And so in verse 1, here we get the introduction into our lead character. We are told who his father is, that he will specifically identify him to those of his day, and we're told that God gave Jonah a message. So it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah means dove, all right? And then he is the son of Amittai. The son of Amittai was someone we don't know specifically, but it means truth teller. So ironically, Jonah was someone that at least in his family, truth was important. Because they gave him a name, Truth Teller. And hopefully that father of Jonah grew up to be a Truth Teller. Now, who Jonah was specifically, this is, again, another fun fact. Um, We don't know specifically, but Jewish history, Jewish history wants to think that he was the son of the widow of Zarephath, if I'm saying that right. You know in the Old Testament when Elijah has that widow and she's going to, her son dies and then Jonah, uh, I mean Elijah raises him from the dead. Jewish modern history says that was Jonah. And that when you look at the timeline, it would have made Jonah really old by the time this story occurred. Made him like 120 years old, but that is what Jewish history says. I can't verify that. We'll have to get to heaven. We'll find out, were you actually that little boy who grew up to be that, uh, this prophet, okay? And maybe he was half Jew, half Gentile. Um, don't know. But I just thought if somebody ever talks to you about that, you should be aware of that. But like I said last week, Jonah is mentioned one time outside of the book of Jonah. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14. How the word of the Lord came to him is unknown. It's interesting theologically. We're never often told how God's word came to the prophets. So when you see that word, word, it's not just one word. It's a message. A message came to Jonah. And verse 2 takes us to what that message was. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. There's the message, all right? And there's no, like, no repentance, but that's, we're going to see as we go through it, it's implied that some opportunity is going to be given to the city. Hey, judgment is coming. You are going to have an opportunity to repent. Three commands, arise, go, and cry. You know, I don't know if he was laying around the couch watching the bears on a Sunday afternoon. Hey, I'm just kicking back. <laughs> you know, get up. It's, it's more the idea of like, I want you to go do something. All right? So it doesn't mean that he was necessarily sitting, but it's a, hey, get up and get going. The direction, go to Nineveh. And look at Nineveh's called the great city. Why is it a great city? There's possibilities. Um, Number one, it was historically tied to Nimrod. Genesis chapter 10. Go back again, like I read earlier, when the lights were off. Genesis chapter 10. It was tied to Nimrod, and it had great history. It was a great city because it was the capital of Assyria. Assyria is an up-and-coming world power, like Washington, D.C. is a great city for us. 
um, Assyria, I mean, had Nineveh as its capital. It was a great city because it was a religious center. We're going to look at some pictures of Dagon and some other religious worship that went in that city in upcoming weeks. And so what you have here is that this was a great city because people flocked to it for its religious purposes. And it was a great city because it's believed there was well over a million people in this city. And so the archaeological digs that we find show that it was very well fortified. It was a very organized city. And so rise, go to Nineveh, the great, great city, and cry against it. The idea of cry is to preach, and that we see in the context. And there you see this line, for their wickedness has come up before me. Well, wait a second. Time out. God, don't you know everything? Well, didn't you know that they were wicked beforehand? I think this brings up a very, very interesting theological concept that I really, I think is interesting running through Scripture. And it's the idea that, that somewhere along the line, God says, I've let your wickedness go, but you've crossed the line. And I think it's pictured two clear places in Scripture. Turn to Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, I... I I, I like this one because it's one of the clearest ones where God is dealing with Abraham and he's talking about the fact that they're going to go into captivity. And let me see, where is it? Yeah, Genesis 15, verse 16. <clears throat> um, he says in Genesis chapter 15, this is Abraham's been given the covenant, he's been given the promise, and he says, though, in verse 15, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you will bury in your old age, you're going to die, basically. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Meaning they're going to come back in the land, and, they're gonna, and then as Moses brings in the, the, after the Exodus, as we know, they're going to punish the people of the Amorites. But what, ha, what, is, what is the timing when it becomes complete? In essence, it becomes ripe. And God has this idea of he knows when the wickedness has crossed the line, and it's now time to address it. Ironically, in the book of Revelation, it's the very same concept that's brought in that God says the, the, the wickedness has come and it's come to be ripe. It's at, the, it's at the right time. So go back to Jonah and understand their wickedness, their evil has come up before me. Is that kind of concept? It's, it's now time. I've got to deal with it. I've got to deal with it now. And so that's what verse 3 says. And then verse, I mean, verse 2 says, but, but, and the word but there is the vow, the wow, that, that letter, gets translated not like now or end, but here in verse 3, it's but, but. So based on the context is how that letter is used. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, which is modern-day Jaffa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down to it, into it. So he gets in the ship. He's going to go inside it. We'll see as we come in the next week. And he pays the fare. Jewish history says he bought the ship. At minimum, I can just tell you that he paid the fare. But some Jewish people think that he actually bought the whole ship, which would indicate his wealth. Um, he paid the fare, went down into, with him to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The key thing is he's fleeing. And where is he fleeing from? He's fleeing from the face of God. The word presence there means face. So did God talk to him face to face? Did God speak to him face to face? We don't know, but there's the idea is 
He's trying to get out of, he's trying to get out of Israel. He's trying to get out of Israel, where God is normally thought to you know, center within the temple. And, and it's kind of crazy there that, to think that he's doing that. Because remember, this is about the year 760 B.C. And around 1000 B.C., Psalm 139 was written. And turn there. Because it's a psalm that I want you to think about on a regular basis. You see, why I think verse 3 is like so crazy, and we'll talk about it even more in more detail, is how can I ever get away from the face of God, the presence of God? Psalm 139 was written by David. Some people would love it for, to, it might have been written by Jonah, but it was written by David. And Psalm 139 says this, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And here's the key verse for our concept this morning. Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your face, your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shield, a grave, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, and that's why some people think, well, did Jonah write this? If I, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And we'll just stop there. This is one of the most famous psalms in the Bible because it deals with the omnipresence and the omniscience of God. There's nowhere you can go to run from God. Did Jonah know this passage? Absolutely he did. Absolutely he did. So then you think, why is he running? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Turn back to Jonah chapter 1. So there, there there's, there's the breakdown. It's a real simple, real simple Start to the book, gives us great historical background, gives us the key issue that Jonah is fleeing. And as you see on your sermon notes, he's basically saying, I won't go. And what I wanted to pull out of this was just three principles. And we'll do this really, you know, really, really brief. <coughs> um, basically, you fill in the blank. As we understand, principles are fundamental truths, are propositions that serve as a foundation for a system or belief or behavior and a chain of reasoning. Everything that we see here, I believe, is repeated in the New Testament. And let me walk you through. Number one, fill in the blank, it is wrong to flee from obeying God. All right? The first principle deals with making it clear that we understand it's wrong to flee from God and disobey God. I know that sounds very simple, but I truly believe that is a fundamental, it's fundamental, we always need to keep it before us. You know, one of the things that I think that uh, that I've, I learned, as some of you know, I coach sports. I've coached sports for my kids for several years now. I think this is my ninth year of doing it in, 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 with the kids here um, in different sports. Is one of the things that I, when I read sports books all the time on coaching, is they always talk about you know the fundamentals, know the fundamentals. It's really, really strong. Uh, that makes you strong as a team, makes you strong as an individual player. Listen, as a Christian, I think it has great application. Know the fundamentals. 
Simply just always remember it's wrong to flee from God. It's wrong to do the wrong thing. If, God, if you know that God wants you to do something and you don't do it, it's wrong. It's, it's just that simple. And, and I think in our world that doesn't want to define right and wrong, doesn't want to define who's a male and who's a female, that it's wrong to steal, wrong to lie, it's just amazing. It throws you for a loop sometimes as a Christian. It's critical that we as believers just keep this simple reality. When Jonah runs, it's wrong. And when we do things that are wrong, it is wrong. It's not right. So keep that before you. And I think that leads to the fact that we all, as believers will admit sin. We'll say, I was wrong. Don't make excuses. But most of all, don't deny what's right to do. Second, fill in the blank with the word with the word um, peace. Disobedience without consequences is irrational. It takes away your peace. Let me f- read this. The second principle is that it's irrational to think that you can disobey God and get away with it. You will pay the consequences. You will pay for it. Jonah, at a minimum, had to leave his home. That takes away from his peace. And I wanted to put these two ideas together, is that J- Jonah comes to this thought, I don't want to do what God wants to, me to do, and so I'm going to get away. But here's the reality is, you can't get away. And, and maybe just to make this even simpler, just say sin is, sin is illogical. That's sort of like boiling it down to the first half. Sin is illogical. Sin doesn't make sense. You know, I was talking to a father recently who raised his child up in the most loving home, the most gracious home, and his child is totally turned against him, making all kinds of wild accusations, making all kinds of crazy um, charges against the, the, the father. And the father's like, I don't understand this. I don't know why my child is doing this. And I tried to comfort him, and I said, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, It is a passage that continually brings comfort to people when I tell them this. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 says, sin is lawlessness, meaning it makes no sense. And, and, And when you start to get down a path of sin, no matter what Jonah was thinking, no matter what Jonah was thinking or what someone else is thinking, it doesn't make any sense. Jonah should have known. Psalm 139, Jonah should have been aware there is nowhere that you can go, but he doesn't think that way. He becomes irrational, and this is why I believe we need to fear sin, because sin causes you to act irrational, and you start to think, oh, there's, I can get away. I can disobey, and maybe there's not going to be any consequences, but that is absolutely foolish. Because the reality of it is, is God does hold everybody accountable. And every once in a while, he does give you a little space. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But if you think that you can disobey, for your own benefit, understand, it's going to take away your peace. Fill in the blank if you haven't already with the word peace. See, when we start to disobey and we start to rationalize why we can sin and why we can flee God and why we can disobey we better, hopefully, you start to rein in. It will cause, it will take away from any peace that you have. Jonah was going to lose his home, lose his friends, lose everything that he knew. That would not have been peaceful. Why would he want that? And, and so you can fill in the blank with any other sin that you can do. If, you know, when you start to disobey God, it takes away from your peace. And as, if you're a believer and, you're a, and, you, and, you, and you sin, 
then the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. And you think, well, why did I lie? Why did I do this thing? God's not going to give you any peace unless you confess it. And obviously, we know with the unbeliever, I truly believe that the unbelievers have no peace. And often, that's why they drink. That's why we see them doing pills. We, that's why we see them looking for other avenues to find ways to, to soothe over their consciousness. So learn this. It's irrational to think that you can flee from God. Jonah, as we know, the big picture doesn't get away, and no one else does either. Third, fill in the blank, then, with the word grace. Take advantage of grace before it runs out. Because what I want you to see here is that it's critical to take advantage of grace. Because look at verse 3. Jonah gets up, flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went to Joppa. The thought was maybe he's like in the Samaria area, maybe he's in Jerusalem. He travels like 60, 70 miles to the coast, has time to get into a boat, has time to buy a fare, then get into the boat. Gets on the waters before, we, before the waters come, before the storm comes. We all know the stories. God sends a storm. God sends the trial. God sends a, a, a horrific storm to, to challenge them. And the reality of it is, is God, I think, is giving Jonah time, time to repent. And, and, and even when he gets thrown into the water, God, that is going to be grace. And not taken away from... I'm telling you guys the whole story because we always got to bring this whole story together as we study it. I want you to think about this. Maybe if you're somewhere in your life right now that you've done something wrong and you know that you've done wrong, before God brings some type of judgment, some type of discipline into your life, I want you to say to yourself, maybe today is the day I need to repent. I need to come forward. I need to come clean. I need to do what's right. Um, you know, because God gives grace. In the book of Esther, one of my favorite old, time, old Testament books is the challenge to Esther when her uncle says, maybe it was for this time that you've been given the opportunity to do right. I'm, I know I'm paraphrasing it. And she, she has to think, well, do I step up and go talk to the king or not talk to the king if you're familiar with the story? And thankfully, she does the right thing. For us in the New Testament, Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. We'll end here. 1 John chapter 5. With this principle. I've got one other verse for you to look at after this. 1 John chapter 5. You see, we love the fact that God is a God of grace. And we're saved by grace. We don't earn our salvation. But we have to understand that God is not playing games with sin. And when he does give us time to get our acts together, we better take advantage of it. 1 John chapter 5, um, John is talking about the characteristics of true believers, the genuine from the fake. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God, and God will give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make requests for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. Well, wait a second. What is, what is a sin leading to death? A sin leading to death is when you are put through church discipline, and, and, and now you are no longer under the protection of God. And if the church recognizes that you've committed this sin, you can come to the place where God says, okay, you, you are so unwilling to obey God, I will take your life. 
And I've been a pastor now for 18 years. I've been on people's death by people's deathbeds, and people have told me, Mike, you know, and these are people sometimes that haven't even gone through church discipline, where they would say, I know that God is taking my life because of the sin that I committed. There is sin leading to death. All right, not all sin leads to death. You know, you might do something small and you get away with it, and it doesn't seem like God brings discipline. But I want you to understand, there is a reality that that God doesn't doesn't let you always cross lines and go on as if nothing happened. This goes hand in hand with 1 Corinthians 11, where there are people who are being judged. Their life was being taken away from them because they were not being faithful as believers. And so God allows them to sleep, and the sleep there is a euphemism for death. God brings death to them. So go back to Jonah and understand these three principles. It's wrong to flee from God. It's wrong okay, to think that disobedience has no consequences because disobedience is irrational. It takes away your peace, therefore fear it. And then take advantage of grace before it runs out. As we're studying the book of Jonah, Jonah was given grace and it will run out. He will be thrown into the water and then he'll even be given more grace. But sometimes people are thrown into the water and they're not given a great fish to swallow. We know that. Not everyone in history has been followed by fish, right? So but Jonah was... Well, as we wrap up, I, I did want to leave you. I, I thought it's good that as we go forward that we should regularly look at these passages. We'll leave with this. Matthew chapter 12, Gospel of Matthew, New Testament. Jesus quotes the book of Jonah several times. And I thought it would be good for us over the next few weeks to look at some of these statements as we wrap up. As Jesus comes in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, he was dealing with the people who were rejecting him. He didn't want him. And so verse 38 says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And we know that they're seeking for a sign. They're seeking for a sign hypocritically. They don't want to see anything genuinely. Jesus has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's really God. But they don't, they're, they're just playing word games. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And, you know, as we look at this, I want us to remember, you know, Jesus treated this as historically true. Jesus used this as a picture of of a warning that just like Jonah was in the ground in the sea monster three days so I would be in the ground today we know that Jesus Christ is alive right and, and I think we need to remember how the, Jesus and Jonah link together and don't be afraid just like Carl said you know go out and witness with creation God is a creator therefore you need to be accountable Jonah was in the in the belly of the fish don't don't be embarrassed by the truth of the story go out and proclaim it go out and proclaim it um, um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I was told this week something that, that it's so critical that I think we need to understand. A woman called up a non-Protestant radio station. So you guys get the link here. A, a non-Protestant radio station. She called up and she, she said to the religious leader that was running the, the radio show, she said... I hear you guys talking about Jesus all the time, but I want to tell you that 
that, that I like living the way, my life the way it is. And I'm just going to live my life the way it is. And when I die, when I stand before God, I have, a, I have the opportunity to accept Jesus then, don't I? And the religious leader said, yes, that's absolutely true. You get to, you get to choose then. Well, who wouldn't choose then? You have heaven and hell right before you. You're standing before God Almighty. I want you to understand that's a complete lie. And I want to reach through the radio station, pull that religious leader, and shake him. All the people on the radio heard that, would have been confident that they could live the way they want to and get away with what they want. And then there's going to be a second chance. There is no second chance. Jesus is giving us these signs. He's given the sign. Just like Jonah was in the whale, I was in the ground. You better believe, and you better believe now. So this morning, I leave you with that reality. Let us learn from Jonah in many ways, and especially the fact that he is a true sign of what Jesus did for us. Believe in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus the, the, and that he treated Jonah as a true story. I'm asking that the believers here have rich, strong lives, Lord, and they learn so many different things from the book of Jonah as we continue to go through it, from the historical reality of it to the life lessons of how not to act from Jonah, from the incredible depths of the irrational life of sin and what devastation it can bring. Some of us, God, have already tasted it, and they've seen the damage it can come, but we're thankful for second chances. We're thankful that you're a God who forgives. Help us to continue to build and go forward where we can. But, Father, if there's someone here today that's in sin, I hope, Lord, that this message, reading either Psalm 139 or seeing the story of Jonah, the complete story that as Jonah runs, he will not be able to run away from God that there is something that is stirring within someone to be obedient today, to confess that sin, to make something right, to get it right before it's too late because grace does run out times. And I pray, Lord, that when those consequences come, it's not to anyone here because they've had the sin unto death or some other consequence that would come upon their life. May we be a church that recognizes the serious responsibility that we have as evangelists. God has given an incredible sign. Jesus was in the ground. Noah was in that great fish. I mean, Jonah was in that great fish. Help us, God, to use both of them to reach a world that doesn't want to think that there's a right and wrong, but needs it. May we be willing to love them. In Jesus' name, amen.